0: You know, I always say players should be CEO of their own business. You effectively, troll matches. So, yeah, that's the challenge of, of coaching or managing, isn't it? It's to.
1: How do people at the top of the game do what they do? And what can young players learn from them to help them on their own journey and help them achieve their dreams in the game? That's the question and this podcast will give you the answers. Welcome to today's episode of the Offfield Rugby Pod. I'm your host Brian Moilette, former Irish Age Grade International Player, now Mindset and Performance Coach. And if you've not done so, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another podcast episode. If you're out there and you love this podcast, please do me a favour and leave a rating and a review however you listen whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you go onto those platforms and give us a positive rating and review, the more we get, the more those platforms say, hey, this podcast is helping people. People are enjoying it. Maybe we should show it to people who've never heard of it before. And that way the podcast grows organically. And that's one way you could really, really help us out. So if you could do that, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Cheers. Today I'm chatting with former Connacht, Sales Sharks, Leinster and Ireland hooker Bernard Jackman. We start the pod chatting about coaching, then touch on media and go on to Bernard's playing days. Bernard has had some incredibly diverse experiences in the game. After retiring from playing, he coached junior rugby, schools rugby, Pro D2, Top 14 and URC as a head coach and DOR, Director of Rugby. He's also a brilliant analyst and whether you're a player, coach or fan, you will learn tons in this one. He talks about how Warren Gatland kept tabs on players, Joe Schmidt's innovative mental skills sessions with the Ireland team and Declan Kidney's holistic understanding of players. He also talks about player development plans and how you should create yours Opens up about mental struggles he had as a player on the field and the tools he learned to get himself right and play his best rugby, which then led him to becoming a European Cup and Grand Slam winner. There's so much more in this, you'll probably want to listen to it with a pen and paper to take notes. Also, you can see short clips of the pod and get help with mindset and performance side of rugby on my Instagram and TikTok at Rugby. So here's episode number 60 with Bernard Jackman. Dealing with money can be very stressful and especially with everything that's happening in the world right now and stock markets crashing. If you're not an expert, it can be difficult to know what to do. Sparks Wealth is an Irish financial planner and they are experts when it comes to dealing with finances and helping guide you on what's best for your situation. You can book a free call with Will now at Sparks Wealth on their website, sparkswealth.ie. Recently, a family member of mine did just that and was so happy they did so. They said Will guided them through everything in a simple, easy to understand way, no jargon. And it was a brilliant experience. So that's sparkswealth.ie. So how has pre-season been going in Beckett?
0: Yeah, been good. Actually, we are, we started the league on Saturday. Um, and I've I've had two pre-seasons again for the first time in a long time. So I'm also director of rugby at Prez Bray since the start of August. So um, I'm back in schools rugby. Uh, I'm not coaching the, the SCT. I'm sorry. I'm doing the defence for the SCT. So um, I did all the sessions with them in August but now the schools are back today I was at a first year blitz out in KH so I'm going to my job is director Ruby. so my job is to is to look after the health um, of all teams but uh, so I mix I'm, I'm doing a day with the SCT a day with the JCT and a day with the first years a day with the second years Um, and and we'll see that the TYs are starting next week so I'll see how I manage that but, uh, but it's been good looking forward to um yeah i said so start starter league on saturday against monkstown and uh pres are into friendlies now every saturday until the league starts
1: and stuff and so you're saying four days you're out there quite a lot out of presbury
0: yeah yeah it's a new job for me i i um i, was, I wasn't involved last year i had gone done a bit with Newbridge, my old school two years ago and um, we got to the final but the final was um wasn't played because of COVID, um, so we shared a cup with Clongos, and that was that was it was nice to be involved in that. I'd obviously coached I coached in Michael's for Dan Levy's year, and we won a cup before I we went to France. So um, I've been involved in yeah, I've been and I, I I actually work the schools games for um for Premier Sport. I like school rugby, um. So uh, Press is a really interesting one. It's it's one of the it's the only public school non fee paying school that's still competing in that Leinster Schools Cup. Um, which is obviously a, a very competitive competition. So um and they're finding it harder and harder to compete. Um so yeah, I I got asked by the past pupils committee to, to give them a dig out. So yeah, I'm enjoying that. It's um it's uh yeah, it's great. You know, you can, they're so um they're so coachable kids and um they're obviously highly motivated and there's a nice there's a nice ethos there and uh, particularly the first years i mean you know they're all trying to get to know each other um trying to settle in um you know to a a secondary school and and i think hopefully you know getting on a bus today and going to a different school representing the school and having a bit of fun will will help them settle
1: yeah schools rugby is unreal like you say
0: yeah great
1: crack and um why or how are they finding it harder and harder to compete? What's what are the challenges there?
0: Challenge of coaches, Brian. Um, so you know, if you've no fees, you've <laughs> very little budget. Um, and uh I don't. It's it's not even just at school. I mean, there was a crisis uh, in Leinster this year uh, for coaches. I think there was twenty four coaching positions advertised uh, at one stage over the summer. Um, people are less. Willing now to give up their their time, you know, and and commit, and and, um, I don't know whether it's because COVID and and you know they got used to staying at home, or whether they decided during COVID that they want to have that freedom to to go away on weekends whatever they want. Um, but f- there's a big shortage, and that's that's you know down in in, in Presbury School as well. So we got some great teachers who are doing great work, um. But we probably don't have an we haven't enough coaches, uh, and we're competing with, yeah. You know, I, I suppose also if you if you, if you're not competitive, it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult to keep that motivation because they can play soccer, they can play basketball, they can play you know GA for Braemotts or wherever the local club, are, and be competitive. So um, even though participation is, is going to be massive, and we want to get as many kids enjoying rugby as we can, we also need to try and make sure that we give them the tools to be able to compete. Um, and that will keep kids playing as well. So um, yeah, so no easy fix. But uh, as I said, I I was kind of involved in a similar project in my old school, Newbridge, um, and we turned that around, So I'm pretty confident we can we can do something um, something really good in in Presbury as well.
1: Good stuff. And what kind of things like DOR um, versus coaching? Like with what's the difference with those two hats? Yeah, like, so I, I know I, coaching.
0: Yeah, no, no. So DOR, like for example. At professional level, um uh, to be honest, when I, I was a head coach without a DOR um uh, in in the Dragons and um in Grenoble. And then you are effectively a DOR because there's no buffer between you and the the board or you and the CEO or, the, or in France the president. Um and any, you know, recruitment is obviously a huge part of retention, you know, dealing with agents, dealing with the media, dealing with stakeholder sponsors, all that stuff, dealing with um I mean, you say of you know travel, you know um, admin, legislation for, for competitions, etc. So yeah, you get dragged away from coaching, um, and yeah, it's hard for people to understand how much stuff a DOR has to do um, that's not really relevant to a training session or or the match. Um, In a school environment, I think it's a little bit different. I think my job is to basically. I would say um engage with teachers, um, get them excited about coaching, give them help, you know, because we would have some coaches who don't school teachers who don't have a background in rugby, but are really keen to help out and be part of the, the school sporting um discipline. And not just rugby. I mean, as I said they they will be involved as coaches in, in lots of other sports, but to give them the tools and support to feel that they're coaching well or or have a pathway, um, for the kids, I suppose you know. I, I spent um two days last week going around the classrooms, you know, inviting them to play rugby. Um, so you're a bit of a salesman, and um, I suppose you know, uh, off the field, uh, off the field, then as parents, you know, making sure that there's a good environment for the kids, making sure that the the parents, you know, feel and trust us that we're going to do best by their kids. Um, which all schools do, but um, you know, to actually um. Manifest that and make, it, make make them feel it uh, is sometimes the challenge. And then, I suppose, um, looking at ways we can fund it, you know, with no fees coming in, um, how can we make sure the kids have the best possible environment, whether that's kit, whether that's physio, whether that's SNC, uh, whether that's travel to games, you know, uh, whether it's a tour at the end of the year, all those things that cost money Um that we don't want to be having to ask the parents to to um to dig deep uh if we can help it so yeah it's it's a multi-purpose but look it's exciting and, and they're great people like the, i wouldn't have taken a job if i wasn't really impressed by the desire they have to to try and make it better and the people i'm working with i enjoy and they're really good rugby people so um that that's what swayed it to be honest i wasn't actively looking for a job um uh, but yeah, I love rugby and I'm passionate about it. And I think it's a it's a school with a with a history. Um, I think from a from a Leinster and Irish rugby point of view, it'd be a shame to see Bray, you know, which is a, a big town on the outskirts of Dublin, um, be lost. Be lost because you know the water will be there. Uh, Greystones obviously, were um, were a strong club there. They've gone down a little bit in the pecking order, but are, are trying to go back up. Um, as I said, you know, Prez haven't been successful at cup level for a long time. So you lose Bray. And, and you know, I think about it, the RFU are talking about, you know, West Dublin, talking about Tala, uh, trying to get things going there. And there's lots of initiatives, which I totally admire. But you actually have a place, a town, um, that's had rugby. And it was on the verge, I'd say, of... Of slipping away, so I suppose is that from that point of view, it's an exciting challenge.
1: Yeah, good stuff. And um, yeah, when you start listening out all that stuff that uh, goes on in uh, like recruitment, fundraising, all that stuff, it um, you'd barely be able to coach if you're having to do all that. Like coaching itself is yeah. is time consuming enough, but all that other stuff. And I heard uh, one of the United players saying that Alex Ferguson was rarely ever at the training ground. So yeah. he would essentially have be been a DOR there. like Yeah,
0: kind of exactly. Road. exactly. You, you know, I think he was there. He was there quite a bit. I, I spent a few days there back in 2010 um, as part of my kind of coach education journey. And uh, he, I was only there four days, but he was there every day I was there, but he was never on the pitch. He was never sorry, on the pitch. That was, that was uh, a, sorry, sorry. Yeah. That was not coaching. Uh, yeah, yeah look, I'm sure there was days he was off meeting. Like, you know, um, I remember him telling me that like he got on a train um, to London when I think David Beckham was 13 to meet his parents because the scout had said to him, look, I think, you know, if we're going to get to move out of London, you have to go. You know what I mean? So, then, like, yeah, there's, and who would, the reality was, it was highly unlikely Alex Ferguson was ever going to benefit from David Beckham because, you know, uh, the legacy he had in terms of duration is very unusual, you know? And that's why I really admire, like, i give an example. Um, there was a young kid played in Newbridge College. His name was Lucas Bertie and um he is... Father's Chilean, but he, he came over. His father had came to Newbridge, um, in sixth year back. Uh, Leo Cullen's year in the cup. Actually, they lost the Black Rock in the final. It was a dream team. Uh, Jordan Murphy was on a Newbridge team, and um, he came over and he wanted his kids to have the same opportunity. So they came into Newbridge, and uh, two boys came in and uh, I think second year and fourth year, and um, very very good player, like top top class player. But anyway. There was there wasn't really an opportunity immediately, in then Street was going to have to go into the sub academy. And uh, Pat Lamb and Rob Baxter heard about it, and both of them, you know, were really interested in him and and were very aggressive in in trying to sign this seventeen year old. Um, uh, and I was going, wow, like that's you know, there's so much else on their plate, um, but yet they're they're obsessed about you know somebody who in the future can help um Exeter or, or Bristol Bears um be successful. And, and yeah, I think that, you know, those people like them at the top of an organization, um, you know, they're they're invaluable because they they go above and beyond um to try and make sure that there's sustainable success.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's something that I'm just kind of seeing myself recently with coach in the last like six or twelve months, the importance of looking like three, four years down the line. And I didn't realize it before, like as a player I would never realize it, as a young coach was just so focused on the team for the weekend, but um, yeah. how much you have to be thinking about next year, the year after and all and everything else,
0: yeah, and I think look at I think you go into a place and and um and I certainly like i I actually don't do a huge amount of coaching in either. I've got some really good uh young coaches who who want to develop um and so my job is to, is to try and give them rope, you know, um, and give them time in, in in various sectors. And I suppose my job is to try and make sure that as a club, we have a a, a strategy and some of that's recruitment, some of that's uh, retention, but most of us player development and trying to find, you know, ways like we haven't had, we haven't had another 20s team for three years. So, because we haven't been able to have one, get one, you know what I mean? So we have no feeder. So, you know, um, and you're competing in a, a tiny area with like, Wesley, we share a pitch with. who are obviously going really well. Old, Old Belvedere, are just down the road. Lansdowne, are just down the road. Wanderers just down the road. Um, and obviously, the cost of living in Dublin 4, you know, kids now who are coming to college in Dublin, are having to either commute back home, so they're not even coming up properly. Um, or they're, you know, they're living further away, so they're playing for some of the, the clubs further out, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, you're constantly trying to, I suppose, um look after the 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 short, medium, and long term success of the club. And and um, I I enjoy that part of it. You know, I enjoy that part of it. Um but yeah you get further away from coaching. And I think you can have a bigger influence. I think obviously if you, you can coach the scrum or line out, you know, that might help you win Saturday, but if you're not if there's not someone in the club looking after the the longer term pitcher, um it's not going to be sustainable anyway.
1: Mm. And how do you find that uh, kind of like coach mentorship, coach education, like uh, working over and and helping coach? How do you find that side of things?
0: Yeah, look, I think, I think, yeah, it depends on the personality. Some people want constant feedback, um, others want it more intermittently. um, Some want to be challenged, others don't. um, Some you can just question, you know, question them uh, why are they doing that? You know, what's the, what's going to be the effect of that decision or that tactic, you know, for what they want to do, but also the, the knock-on effect on on the team defence or the team attack, you know? So, like, just take a similar example, like, lineup coach wants to have 95% uh, line-out um, possession won't, wins and he throws, throws 90% of the ball to the front. You know what I mean? It's great. He he hits his, his stat, but um, maybe we, we miss opportunities to attack further out. So that, but every single... The great thing about rugby is... Uh, there's so much interconnections, um, and every decision that's made tactically is going to infiltrate another part of the game. And I suppose it's just trying to make sure it's all all tied in together. Um, and also, to be honest, in Bechtive, um you know, it's it, we're we're a junior a J1 club trying to go back senior. Um, a huge part of us making sure training is really enjoyable and making sure playing for Bechtive is is something that when they close the laptop at five o'clock and um, they want to grab their kit bag and, and come down training because they're going to get better and it's going to be a good vibe and, and they're having fun. So I mean, that's more important at that level than maybe it is. Well, at AIA 1A where you've got aspiring pros or people who are obsessed about winning. We, we obviously want to win, but um, I also, we know that it's important that uh, fun and enjoyment and team spirit and camaraderie is, is at the core of everything. Yeah,
1: hundred percent. And that- how do you make it that fun environment, or make people want to go down there?
0: Yeah, look, I think it sounds cheesy, whatever. But when you are recruiting, you find people that um, have okay. the same vision, you know. So, not tell porkies or or, or say to them, it's, you know, it's going to be really intense. Explain to them, look, we we want to win, and we and we'll, we'll prepare to win. Um, and thankfully, we have you know we've a good win record. Um, but also, it doesn't have to be the absolute focus of your life so if you have a scheme trip with your mates or your partner you know in november just let us know you know um rather than um the stress of like feeling you can't do things um and, but, but again if you get the right people and and, and you judge you know you, they give you more back than than your you know their their, their commitment is 100 then for when it's it works for them like i have lads doing accountancy exams and, and law exams at certain times of the year or medicine uh, you just need to be flexible, you know, you need to be flexible. But you only can do that if you actually understand their diary and their, their years and, and what they're stressed about. So, um yeah, so we've got a good, a good bunch of, of lads. We've got a lot of fellas who are friends, um already friends since they're 10 or 12 or whatever, might play mini rugby together. So they all know each other really well. And and then it's a case of like, we still get a lot of lads from the country um from who come up to them for jobs and, I just found that they've all blended really well, you know. So I've got the, the private schools, you know, Michael's Black Rock, um, who are obviously local to here and it's very handy for them. And uh and then we've fellas coming up to do study or um to get their first jobs in, in Dublin. And uh I just feel that you know in France um in, in, uh uh in France every Monday my, my club president used to say to me uh he'd ask, ask me the question after training on a, after the video on a training on a Monday which would be like a light install day, you'd say, oh, uh, le mayonnaise est bien prie right? Which basically means the mayonnaise has taken well or not. Okay? Um, so basically, is the mayonnaise uh, going to be good, right? And it's a saying in French, life, not just rugby, but basically every town is proud of of their food obviously and every town has um their own unique um recipes and dishes and and mayonnaise is something that they love right and uh, they don't buy the hellmans or whatever they you know the, the good chefs make their own mayonnaise but um the idea and the philosophy is you know if you got good good ingredients and a good method you've going to make good main A's and for him when he asked me that question it was like well what's the mood of the players like you know what I mean you know is are the players in good form are they bounced back from from the defeat has the review gone well you know um are they are they overconfident because they've won the, the weekend and then obviously what the plan is what's the plan what's the plan for this week you know um and uh I think it's the same for for Bechtit, you know what I mean um if you want to have good main A's you get you know, good ingredients, which is good players and and good good people, and then you try and make sure you manage the the method. You know, with your own, um, I suppose, intuition as well, because you know you have to be able to adapt a little bit as well, and um, know when to push, when to pull, and um, so yeah, that's the challenge of of coaching or managing, isn't it? It's to it's to maximise the the talent you have.
1: 100 yeah, uh, percent lots of great stuff said there, and I love what you're saying as well about when you give players a bit of leeway, you get it, you get so much more back, and that's so true. Versus you know, when someone's like nearly a taskmaster and you, people are kind of thinking, ah, oh, fuck this fella, or whatever, you know, and
0: yeah,
1: um, I think at different levels as well, um, yeah, anyway, but um,
0: yeah, so like I you know, just so like for me, um, like I I, I want to really enjoy coaching Bechtive. um, and I think if I really enjoy it I'm going to be far better at, w- at what I do or coaching and managing um, and it, within that like there has to be flexibility for me if if there's something you know really important in work or or something you know like I've missed as a pro player like I, I've missed countless weddings etc but you know that flexibility that obviously you're totally committed but um there's a little bit of leeway for family life as well. Um, so I'm on the same page as them, you know what I mean? And uh, uh, maybe that's, maybe that that's selfish of me, but I, I think, I think it's um, like we, we have huge numbers. We, like we would have 50, we'd have probably 52 or three training tomorrow night for our first and seconds. We train together um, and it's a real squad ethos. So in terms of numbers, it, 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 it's paying off. Um, we just have to get promoted now, you know?
1: Yeah, that's the challenge. Um and You mentioned France there. So how did you find coaching in France?
0: Mm, very different, but brilliant. I mean, we went for one year, so um, I had a few chances to play in France over the course of my career. Um, but if you want to play for Ireland, um, you know, unless you're Johnny Sexton, which I certainly wasn't, uh, <laughs> you, you can't go, you can't go. So, um, and also I was playing for Leinster, and you know, we, we had a chance to win the European Cup or two, so um. I, I, you know, it was a smart decision for me to stay, but I, we kind of chatted as a family and said, if it was an opportunity to go there as a coach, um, to have that experience, wouldn't it be brilliant? And, um, yeah, so I went back and did a master's just to basically make sure I was, um, uh, I suppose future proofed for, for life after coaching because it's such a fickle uh, game, um, and an opportunity came up to go to Grenoble, who had just been beaten in a playoff, so they finished, um. They finished second in Pro Two 2 uh, that year, um, but they lost to the fifth-place team at home in a semi-final. I'm um, no, sorry, they finished first, but lost to the fourth-place team. Bordeaux, actually, uh, which is a huge shock. So they thought, having finished first, they were nailed on to go up, and they didn't go up. And the coach basically felt, and the director of felt, he needed to make an adjustment to the coaching staff to give the players something new. But he didn't have budget for a full-time coach, so I, I went on a... F- Five week trial that preseason. I did preseason with them. Preseasons in France are incredibly short. Um, so the five-week preseason included two games, two, two pro two games. Um, so three weeks of preseason and, and two games. And the deal was at the end of that five weeks, he said look to me, look at if we go up, um I want you to come full-time because my budget will increase. Um so I kind of ended up coaching virtually, doing like video reviews a little bit. This is before Zooms and Teams. Um uh going back going back during the year to do top ups. And thankfully we got a flyer. And I came back to Ireland and I, I, I um that's when I coached St. Michaels actually and I coached Tullo. because I I didn't um you know I, I I felt I had a year that I just needed to tread water to a certain extent and hope that the opportunity came up in France uh full time and, and thankfully we we got a really good early, early start and we ended up knowing we were promoted I think by March so we were so far ahead um, we got the automatic spot that year there was an automatic spot and um, yeah so then I was able to go there full time but again I only signed for a year and ended up staying five so it was um, it was brilliant like my kids are bilingual now even I managed to learn uh, the language and um, I enjoy that and I you know I, I try and keep that up and uh, like the top 14 is an absolute monster unless you've been in it um, it's hard to um, it's hard to explain how intense it is, how special it is, and you know the atmosphere in Bayonne is completely different than the atmosphere in Perpignan, Clermont. You know, um, going to Paris to play Racing or, or Stade, some of the best players in the world Toulouse, obviously is a, a special place. It's just um, it's just an absolute monster, and uh, people who love rugby in France absolutely adore it, and particularly down that southern corridor. Um, it's a huge part of their life, and uh, no, incredible, incredible experience.
1: Yeah, it um, it seems unreal. I've just yeah, seen that recently as well. But like, down the south of France, the size, like, how big rugby is,
0: yeah, not like everywhere. Like, Grenoble actually demands that's the problem. Grenoble Grenoble is, is um, it's called the Silicon Valley of France. So, Grenoble is um, uh, a real multicultural city. Um, there's 80, well, there's probably more now, there's 84 American companies in Grenoble. A lot of scientific companies, a lot of technology companies, um, and the problem for Grenoble is well, one the size, so it's one hundred sixty thousand people. Um, but obviously, and Lyon is 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 up the road. I mean, I think that's that's over a million people, you know, um, and that's obviously their super powerhouse now because they have the the city support. In actual fact, French rugby, um, there was a trend that was going towards the the big cities where you know are the only cities that are able, our clubs are able to afford to stay in the fight. Now, but having said that, I suppose, brive and Perpignan, uh, Bayonne, you know, they're, they're not, they're staying, they're, they're staying in, in top 14 or, or, getting promoted, relegated, but they're struggling to get up to that top six, you know, which is now Claremont, Racing, uh, Lyon, uh, Toulouse, Montpellier, um, who all have, you know, either benefactors are, are in big cities. So, um, but yeah, you know, like even down to Federal one, like there's there's some huge crowds at, at Federal one games and Federal two games, and um, you know they they uh, they absolutely love it. And 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 uh, top fourteen is, is look when I was there, probably you could question some of the the tactics and the professionalism uh, off the field. And but I think now you see there was a massive dis, uh of uh disconnection between the federation and the clubs. Um, but now you see everybody on the same page. And it's probably geared towards the fact of a home World Cup. But now you see alignment, um, good coaching at the French national level, youngsters playing every week for their club, whereas they were being blocked by by foreigners. Um, but now the financial implications of not playing young French players is is, is too high. Um, and yeah, it's a force. They're forced to be reckoned with. And, and you know, we all, you know, certainly as a, in the, as a pundit, we spoke about all. Oh, you know, why can't France get their act together? Now they have got their act together and it's up to us to try and stay with them. Yeah,
1: for sure, 100%. They look dangerous and their third team nearly looks dangerous, the amount of players they can yeah. put out. And um, what kind of stuff do, when you say professionalism off the like, field, what would have been the difference with in France?
0: Uh, look, I think diet, um, diet in certain clubs. But we, You said, I think the challenge is um, if you've been a pro-D club Pro two club for six or seven years which which Grenoble were um and you get promoted you're going to have some players who basically have spent their whole life in Pro2 so and obviously that's professional but it's not the same level of um of dedication and, and and excellence so you know I think by the end we had probably weeded those guys out and and the fellows who couldn't change you know did not weren't willing to change um but you know that probably wouldn't be that intense but obviously then you know sizes is everything? So you know, if a guy's carrying six or seven kilos too much, um, it's not really a big issue because it's about the set piece and uh, the impacts, um, and probably then as well. Probably the fact that it was such a short preseason made it difficult to get that conditioning in, and also the game was very focused on, you know, scrum for a penalty, line and wall for a penalty, kick penalties. Um, the pressure to get points at home was like. Incredible. So, you know, you don't take risks. You you play the percentages, and that led to ball and play time being inferior to the Pro 14 at the time and uh, uh, the Viva Premiership. Uh, But that's changed now, you know, Uh, and that looks because they've you know the the refereeing has got better. um, uh, There's obviously only one team goes down now, so there's less risk, Um, and yeah, they. I think that the ball and play time has gone up. Um, and as I said there's a huge there's a huge there's a, there's a much bigger better understanding of the importance of sports science so just to give you an example so when I when I left France I got brought back in by by the LNR which is the league um to act on a as a uh I would you say it, an outside expert on basically GPS um because obviously I had a good understanding of GPS in Ireland as a player and then obviously in the Dragons um because effectively every club, had their own GPS provider, okay, which isn't a big deal. Um, The French Federation had their own GPS provider, but there was no sharing of information, right? So, for example, here's Matthew Bastro, for example, so he was playing for Toulon. He'd go into French camp for the Six Nations. The the SNC coaches there would have no idea what he had done for the previous six, seven weeks with Toulon, okay? And, The problem with that is, is that if there's a massive spike in intensity at training for an individual, there's a risk of injury. right? So the SC coach in in France is being super cautious with the load that that player is subjected to, just using him as an example. But this is the case for everyone. So they err on the side of caution, because if there's a load of injuries, the SSE coach gets pressure. Right. So and then. So they they complete the Six Nations campaign, then they go back to their clubs, and they've no data on what they've done in France, right? And you know, so there's just this this lack of lack of alignment. So now what's happened is, and this is the French drove this, is that you know there's a central contract with a a, a GPS provider to provide GPS units and a platform um, for the federation and the clubs. Okay, so you know Perpignan train today, you know. Tonight, the SSC coach will, you know, put all the GPS units in a docking station that will upload to the cloud, and you know that information is there for for the French coaches for each individual and and building up a a a, a, a GPS or or load passport from kids from the age of eighteen, you know, so you can see what they're able to do, and likewise, you know, it works both ways. So players come back from France, their clubs now have the data on what they've done. And it's just pushing them higher and higher. And look at that's been happening in Wales. I mean, Gatlin was it was a huge. I mean, in Wales the Dragons the Dragons Wru it's probably the only thing that they probably gave was you know they put they they gave you the units and they gave you the sports scientist um for for GPS. So effectively, Warren Gatlin knew. What the Dragons did on the Tuesday in comparison to what the Scarlets did. And I I just think in Ireland, obviously, the information is shared because it's central contract. So um it was just an area that Wales or France were behind, but they got it sorted.
1: Yeah, interesting. And when you were in the Dragons, like with, with a sports scientist there, so the GPS there, like you know, we know what that they do. and um, but what what role would a sports scientist have, or how would you have talked to them?
0: Yeah, so we, we would have a we would have had our own head of S and C um and then we would have had a sports scientist from the from the wru and they would be masters graduates um basically on a one-year internship um so to be contracted to wru they would train them up and then they would be sent so each region would get one each and they would send to us um and their job was basically to make sure that for every session the player had the um the data or had the, the unit and then it was it was uploaded to the cloud um but effectively, what you do then. So basically, I'll just give you the background. So when I got to the Dragons, um, you know, we looked at the historical data of our training load with my head of performance, and effectively we trained the least amount at the worst intensity of any of the Welsh regions. All right. And look, I understand why, because the club was for sale, um, there was fellas afraid they weren't going to get paid next month. Um probably the results weren't good. So uh, you know coaches tried to make sure that they try and keep the spirits up. That's that's you know there's a science science of it and then it was the um there's the human side. So anyway, basically and they're also afraid of getting players injured but uh, by by training with high intensities but that led to the fact that led to basically I I thought the dragons weren't fit enough to win. Um so that's there's a problem with that. Um and then secondly when Warren Gatlin picked a dragon to come into Welsh camp, an environment where training load is very high, invariably the dragons broke down. Okay, because they're going from very low to very high and it's, it's it's uh it's a big injury risk. So he said to me, Look at he said, um, the problem you're gonna have is that I I can't pick these lads for Wales because the way they train isn't good enough. So so obviously if you want to produce players for Wales, um and you don't have many internationals, but you have to make sure that the stimulus at, at training is fit for purpose, right? Also, if you want to recruit internationals, you know, they can't be feeling that going to the Dragons is going to be a risk to their career because the training intensity isn't high enough. Um, so we had a choice to make um, whether we do that slowly or, or quickly. And the reality is, if you do it quickly, you have the risk of injury yourself, but you get there quicker, you know, because players get injured, they come back, their body adapts and, and um, they get there. Um, so by the end, actually, our training load and intensity was higher than the other four regions. So we went from worst to first um, only in terms of training intensity, not in terms of results. But we, a lot of players broke down. And I was, you know, speaking to Warren, Warren was like, look, it's better to break down for you than in Welsh camp. You know what I mean? Because that's just what they're going to have to go through. And, and you know, once... Once I can see that these players are going to be able to withstand or be comfortable in what we do, I'm going to pick more of them. And and they did. I mean, Aaron Wainwright, Leon Brown, Elliot D, um, Ross Moriarty, you know, Corey Hill, um, all were able to go into Welsh camp and not break down um, because the stimulus was was higher. Um, but just uh, uh, the, the other reason it was important for the Dragons was how they how you get money in Wales. Um, is true the number of players you have in camp multiplied by the days they're there, all right? So um, that's how you basically get money through the agreement that was there. So the Dragons over the last ten years, the previous ten years, had got way less money back from the WRU than Cardiff, Scarlets, or Ospreys, because it's 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 a black and white system. Um, if if Alwyn Jones is in camp um, for all the Six Nations for every day there's a fee that the Ospreys get, right? And obviously, Scarlett, the Ospreys, and the Blues were providing most of the players. We only had two guys on, on central contracts, Tyler Morgan and Halim Amos. Um, the rest were obviously all off our own books. So effectively, when we sat down with the board and, and talked about what we wanted to do on the field, um, we realised unless we got internationals or made internationals, we had no chance of competing because we were getting... Um, you know, 70% less money every year from the union, and we didn't have you know sponsorships or anything that to make it up. So, the model had to be to produce Welsh players, and, and also that affected our retention and recruitment. So, we decided we were going to become pretty much exclusively Welsh. Um, so if you're not thinking that way, you go and get you know journeymen, foreigners, um, who can come in and do a job, um, and are ready to go now. Um, but because there was no relegation in Pro 14, because we were Welsh, we were the only region that were Welsh owned. We um, we decided to become exclusively Welsh because you know the more Welsh we had, the better chance we had of having more Welsh internationals, and uh, that was going to pay for the long term funding of of the team, and it becomes cyclical, you know. But when you're at the bottom and you you don't have any internationals and you've no money coming in, it's um. Yeah, it's it's not overnight you can change that. Yeah,
1: it's mad the amount of stuff that goes on. Um, yeah, so yeah, like that's background. something
0: that people don't understand. So like if you like, and also it's very hard because so I would have been putting pressure on the forwards coach to to play young, f- wedge qualified props who had potential upside. Yeah, you know, but they weren't like they're they're props or whatever, and they are not ready to scrum in the URC and in the, in the Pro Fourteen. But so realistically, you shouldn't be doing that. But if you're desperate to try and get them there fast, you, that's the thing. And, and you effect you effectively troll matches. Um, you don't do it on purpose, but you're you're, you're thinking about development ahead of the short term performance. Um, but it's very unique. Uh, it's it's totally opposite to France because in Grenoble, our job was to get enough points to stay up. You know, and it didn't matter if. if You know, you never. If the average age was thirty-one, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you go to go to Dragons, as I said, it's it's it was a unique situation because Wru just bought them, um, and it became very much player development. You know,
1: yeah, and a bit less technical, but say for young players, um, you hear people talk about burnout or these different things, and I just don't know about you or anyone. I just remember playing like all the time as a kid, like as much as I could, and is that like different? Say if you're, I don't know, with Presbury or young Becht of under 20s, yeah. or I get it when someone's 30 or 31 or whatever, but um does that change then with like would you ever tell an 18-year-old to hey train a little bit less?
0: Yeah, you would you would um you listen to your SNC coach. Um no like, absolutely so we would have had a um a player development plan for every every youngster in the academy. Um, and it would have been on an individual basis it would have been sat down with the WRU um, who would have obviously bring their coaches in both rugby coaches plus um, physical coaches in who've had them you know at age grade had them in Wales in their 20s whatever um, and chat about them and uh, chat about their personality so for example Tane Basham who's now a Welsh international I remember just um, part of his development plan was to go play sevens not because they felt sevens as a sport, was going to help him. But just, he's from a, you know, um, a, a small village in the valleys, um, hadn't been away from home a lot. And we felt, you know, going to Cape Town for a week, and I'm not sure the second tournament he did, was going to be great for him in terms of broadening his horizons. You know, so there's that, you know, it wasn't, as I said, everything Sevens is, great, is going to be great for, you know, tackling or passing or footwork. It was literally more around the holistic side of it. Wouldn't it be great for him to be away from home with a, with a team, you know, in the southern hemisphere for two weeks in this next block of 12 months. Um and would that help him get there faster? You know what I mean? So yeah, and obviously then game time and, and training less. Um but like there's so many there's so many different tools now for monitoring, for well being you know you're 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 really hoping that the, the 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 technology helps you along with your own natural instinct um and I to sense when a player maybe is overtraining or lacking a bit of energy or um, needs a bit of a break, and then you know, and then it's just a conversation. So, like obviously, what what fellas get, what the SEC coaches get in the morning is when players monitor, um, you know, if if their if their scores are vastly uh, hit a certain level of difference, it'll be a red light and they'll get an alert, and then their job is to go find them in the morning when they come into the building and chat through it. You know what I mean? So you know why. Why is your mood low? Or, you know, why haven't you been sleeping? Or whatever it is? You know, why are you physically sore? Um, and then just adapt. You know what I mean? I think that's the key. I mean, um, it's be the there's a there's an, you know, the best programs are really that detailed in terms of the science and the understanding, etc. But it's the ability to be able to adapt on the run um for as many individuals as you can to get them into that um it, uh, you know, Goldilocks power is just that. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. You know what I mean? For each individual, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, that's interesting. A little bit different, but what, what do you know now that you're wishing you, wish you as a player when you're back playing?
0: Just um, how, how how hard it is for coaches, um, I think, to get the whole uh, man management rights, um, the whole contracting rights. Um, you're never going to... The players are never going to agree why they don't play. Um, you know, but it's, I suppose, I'd say, sometimes they're not playing because of the overall global objective. So, take the Dragons, you know, certainly there's guys who didn't play who were better than the guys who did, but they mightn't have, they mightn't have had the, the upside, uh, potential upside. And that's hard if you're, if you're a professional player and, you know, you see yourself being better than, you know, player X. But if player X is starting, um. And it's very difficult, I think, to maybe understand that people people at the top need to try and secure the long term, you know, future of the of the of the organization. And and you may be a victim in that in that situation sometimes. And that's uh, it's not really fair, but that's the reality. But you know, I, I I um that's the reality of it in pro sport is that some like decisions aren't always made for the best reasons for that for each individual. You know, as long as we made for the best interested in a group, I think, um, I, I can understand that, but probably as a player, maybe didn't understand that.
1: Yeah, probably, yeah, that kind of leans into the importance of, um, having a chat with coaches, with like, I suppose, head coach Dior, or whatever, at the start of a yeah. year, and like, find out what their plans are exactly, and then, I think another thing is, you have to hope that they're honest, because, yeah. I've seen in the past, talk to people, you know, a head coach, like you said, at the start with Becht, of like, you're on it, you say the way it is, yeah. and, Like you know, you'll have sometimes coaches, I suppose, will say, Oh, you're going to start, this will happen, that'll happen, just to get people in.
0: Yeah, no, fair. And like, that's that's so common, you know what I mean? Like, uh, um, people being promised the sun, moon, stars, and then once they come, there's just no opportunity for them, or they're just cannon fodder or holding a bag or whatever. Um, but I I think, look, uh, in Ireland, anyway, it's such a village, um. You can only get away from that for so long, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I think to be honest with them, I think the, like personal development plans. that we don't do them in Beckett, but um, in in professional sport, um, a, a monthly cadence on that um is is really helpful. So um, where you get the you know the head of medical, the head of SNC, uh, the skills coach and their unit coach. So if it's a forward or back, um and you as a head coach or DOR and a player in once a month to just go through, um, the personal development plan. And, um, you know, so it's, it's covering all the sports psychologists, if you have one, um, it's covering all areas and, and it's an opportunity for them to say, look, at, you know, just on last month, we said I was going to get X, Y, Z or in game time, or I'm going to get specialist training in this. Did it happen? You know, why didn't it happen? You know, was it was an injury or whatever. Um, and then to reset it again for the following month, I think, I think this whole you know uh, end of year exit meeting, um, like it's too late then, you know what I mean? Uh, you're you're better off having. And as hard as it is to find time to do it every month, I think, I think that's invaluable, and players appreciate that, and it makes them. You know, I always say players should be CEO of their own business, and those meetings should be brilliant opportunity for them to, to give feedback around what they feel they need as well and, and have it in a document, have it, you know, have actions and have people responsible for it to help the player get to where they want to get to.
1: hundred percent. brilliant point you make. And um, yeah, like personal development plan, it's kind of similar when I work with players one-on-one, what I do with them, but everyone, everyone can and should have one like rugby players or not. It's like, like you say, it's like, you need to know where you want to get to. And then you make a plan of how you're going to get there and you know, what help you need. And you know what support you need and checking in like I say checking in monthly and if you don't have that goal that vision of where you want to be in 12 months 24 months like you're just floating about
0: yeah exactly you know no, and but I think as coaches and 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 as uh, performance coaches like you like you guys uh, and and we should have the the understanding of that and, and educate you know the people we work with and the importance and the benefit of that, and um, I think look, it's it's logical, but so many young players never really got told the importance of it or, or or how how helpful it can be. So, um, I do think it's getting better, I think it's a better understanding of of all the various factors that go into performing, you know what I mean. And, um, you know, Declan Keaton used to always say, Oh, you know, um, a stool, a stool has three legs think it was family um work and, and and social and you know if one of those legs isn't um isn't working or it's broken still falls. you know what I mean and it's a very simplified version of it but it's the same with the personal development plan or indigenous development plan it's just literally you understanding you know where your strengths are and I would I would say the ones I like are the ones that are very much um focused on strengths um you know 80 20 you know um for me to be world class I can be work class in these areas, and that's they're my strengths. Um, and I want to focus on on those, but also that twenty percent around work ons, and um, you know what what the coaches are telling you, or what you see yourself that are areas that you can improve on, um, that they don't become blockers to you being work class.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, you mentioned it like, yeah, when you're. I don't know I was younger anyway, you just think you work so work as hard as you can and you're kind of very much focused on next week. Yeah, you do hear about goal setting and you think a little bit down the line, but um, you're just so focused on uh, just working hard. And it's not, yeah. you're not thinking about a bigger picture at all, really, I found.
0: Yeah, no, you're not. And, and like, I suppose... Um, if you think back to, if I think back to when I, well I joined Sales Sharks in 2000, right? And uh, we were bought by a guy, Brian Kennedy, um, who had made a lot of money um, selling double glazing. All right. So was a successful businessman, played rugby, played flanker for, um, you know, a local junior club. Um, but from his business background, you know, he felt, um, you know, sales, particularly sales, the first day is goals, you know? So I remember my first ever meeting in, um, in Sales Sharks, it was, um, it was around goal setting and what we're, what we're going to do that year. And, you know, I didn't that I thought that was best practice and, uh, and there was nothing wrong with it. Um, there was nothing wrong with it at all. But I think now when you look at how, you know, big organizations, um, try and create that dynamic or idea about being successful and what does it look like? Um, I think the first thing they look at is that psychological safety um and then that leads to trust, and then that leads to accountability um and then that leads to, I suppose the behaviors and that leads the performance. So, you know, the goals are gone way up to the top, but it's the building blocks of of kind of the environment um you want to create. It's not that having goals aren't important, but for in terms of actually, I suppose, managing a bunch of men or women or a mixed team. Um it's it's can you create that psychological safety where everyone feels comfortable. Um but not not like that it's not tough or there's not accountability, but that psychological say, where people give their feel their opinions valued and then you create trust and then as I said all the way up. But um it's just how things evolved and probably in 10 years time we'll be we need different ways of of trying to create that team dynamic.
1: Yeah, for sure, always evolving. And uh, when you were playing, did you get nervous before games, or how how are you before games? And
0: um, so I found Ruby really easy, except throwing. Right, so um, uh, like there was never a moment, and I'm not trying to be cocky here. Um, I, I the game was simple, except <laughs> except throwing. Um, so I never worried about like missing a tackle even though I missed loads and dropping the ball, miss, drop loads. I, I didn't really worry about that. I always felt very comfortable in the game, but there was one element of the game which which I dreaded. And, um, you know, I was only really when I started working with a sports psychologist at uh, end of McNulty in 2008, where I started to, um, you know, train for that to alleviate the stress of, of, of not being confident in a, in a core skill. Um, but I remember, like hoping we wouldn't have my lineups that day you know what I mean or whatever and that would be the that would be the fear I had or a ball you know kicked to the corner um geez it'd be great if we missed touch here you know what I mean uh, uh, for a second obviously that wasn't yeah. always but it, there was days when I when I when I wasn't confident and and I um, yeah I, I was certainly that was an area of anxiety so when I started working with him you know we just built a routine into my troll you know which was very consistent with how I trained um, I think there were six steps that I went through to get to the position where I had the ball locked and loaded. Um, so visualization, trying to get my heart rate down, things like that. That eventually I got more comfortable with it, and it became less of a um of a, a worry for me or, or stress. But yeah, that to be honest, that's the like I, I was very lucky that I found rugby quite easy. Not like I was always struggling, but I was never, I was never. It was never, um, never looked like it was easy for me, but on the pitch, I didn't really feel out of place except for that one area.
1: You didn't, yeah. So when you say easy, like you didn't worry so much, no, like, you know?
0: No, none, none whatsoever, except, but obviously, all my worry was on one area. But yeah, it's, uh, um, it's funny. And if I had it probably, I'd say if I had had more tools early in my career, I could have been a lot better, I think, but also way less, um, way well, less stressful and more no, no, not really worried about the stress it was more around the performance side of it you know what I mean that performance anxiety and lack of confidence or, or belief certainly didn't help me perform in that area you know and then sometimes it drifted into other areas you know what I mean so other areas of your game get dragged down because you're lacking confidence in one area so um, I think that access to um some some mental prep help at a younger age um can help a lot of players yeah,
1: hundred percent. And what kind of tools? Like, like you were saying, when, like you were saying, what you were doing with Ender? Like, yeah. any tools in particular when you were younger? Well, no, or, no,
0: so uh, look, i You know, I used to throw Um, I used to troll, and just throw. Um, but, but when you throw, you troll. You know, when you're when you're um, sucking diesel, sucking up air. Um, because uh, and so we we started to um. Make sure that I true under pressure and in terms of physical pressure, true exhaustion. And um, at certain times, obviously, you know, yeah, there's, there's times you just need to practice technique, but we started that and um, bringing in like distractions when I true, you know, noise in my ear, you know, just trying to take me out of sync. As I said, that that step, you know, that six steps to throw. So, so effectively, when I true a training, or through you know in the RDS or in, in the in Toma Park, I I went through those methodically, you know what I mean? So and that helped me get my heart rate down the visualization side of things and spend a lot of time on that, like seeing seeing a ball like in slow motion spin perfectly through the air, see their jumper go up to try and contest, but just missing them by two inches and then seeing it being you know caught at the top of the jump by Malcolm McKelly. But like seeing it like as if it was real um, you know, getting really good at visualization. Um, and I still wasn't a perfect chore, but they, they, they got me to a level where it wasn't a handbrake anymore. Um, and I wasn't, uh, I was far from world class, but it wasn't bad enough that it stopped me playing. If you get me, and I, I wasn't holding the team back. Um, so yeah, there are the kind of things that. Um. Also, you know, on a Monday. You know, make a plan for the week, just a couple of notes about what I was committing to doing. And then on a Friday, rechecking that and, and, and kind of going, look, I did all those things. I'm ready now. You know what I mean? Um, and if I didn't do it, if I didn't do two of them, um, you know, on the Monday to the follow, then you, you, you'd be extra careful that you, you know, that you do those. And just getting into this habit of planning, um, doing it, um, accepting you're prepped, and then go and play. Um I think that helped me as well, just kind of having a roadmap to what I needed to do to get better, short term and long term.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. Couple brilliant points there. And yeah, the visualization, yeah, it um just makes you comfortable because you've just done it a hundred times, yeah. or you know, when you've seen it a hundred times.
0: Yeah, I believe, um I believe at the uh at Joe Schmidt with Ireland, they got into this mental gym. Um quite a bit which was like basically um you know the forwards go into a team room lie on the ground close their eyes and actually you know go through a series of of visualizing clear outs visualizing breakdowns you know all the little moments that they might have to do um and some players found it in some ways you know it's obviously less of a load on your body than doing it live but the guys who got into it and practiced it became really good at where they would actually nearly start to sweat you know what i mean um mm-hmm. but uh yeah so did it, I, look it, I, I i'm not an expert in it at all but um I, I can certainly see i i saw value in it from from my own experience
1: yeah they've um they've done studies and stuff that say, like they show muscles growing from like you know the muscle that you would use or whatever like from visualization and stuff like that it's um it's mad all right thanks a so lot for your time um Quickly, last one. When did you play your best rugby, and why? Two
0: thousand eight, and um, got awarded Leinster Player of the Year that year, um, which was someone of my skill sets. That was a big achievement considering some of the players we had. Um, I just felt, I felt incredibly fit. I I was started to work on my mental game. Um, I really focused down on my strengths. my weakness throwing wasn't as much of a handicap as it had been um and yeah I just my body was good I was uh my injuries were my body felt good felt strong I suppose I'd been playing professionally for um what twelve years you know i I knew I knew I could could live at that level and I just felt at home I felt comfortable I had. Had uh, had a kid uh, and another one on the way, kind of said, "Right, I need to, I need to provide." Um, so there was that driving. That I need to be a good role model, and and you know, I want to achieve things with Leinster, you know, so that when like I remember, I remember going around my dad to Marts and stuff, and and the odd time you'd meet someone and be like, "Oh, his grandfather had an All Ireland medal," or you know, it'd be like, and I was like, "Jesus, like I'm in this sport here now, you know, wouldn't it be great if?" In like when my son went to a mart um, that someone said, "Oh, like oh, his his grandfather, his his father has a has a European Cup medal." You know what I mean? Because I basically mm-hmm. spent it was weird. Like I I basically spent um, uh, my career, uh, Connaught. Obviously, the time I was there, we, we weren't great, and they were obviously going to be disbanded. Um, then I went to Sail Sharks. And at first, I won a Challenge Cup in Sail Sharks. Then I came back to Connaught, and we beat to a couple of semi finals, the Challenge Cup. But we weren't really going to win the Pro 14. And then I went to Leinster and I was like, right, sit back. The medals are going to come. Um, and 2005, 2006, 2007, did my win anything. And then 2008, we won the Magners. And then 2009, I was looking at some part of that Grand Slam and a Champions Cup, a European Cup. So I suppose three of my medals came near the end. You know what I mean? Um, but it was kind of this idea, this, this realisation that, you know, I don't know how long more I'm going to have. Um, I'm in a team now who can win if we do things right and and obviously we changed the environment changed in Leinster and we become tighter but also more ruthless and harder on each other under Checa and suddenly then you know I was lucky enough to to get that bit of silverware Um, and yeah it was funny actually I I would have been the only fella in Ireland who had all four and I was probably like there was probably a guarantee that was going to stay forever because um, realistically Leinster and Munster also were unlikely to go drop down to the Challenge Cup um, but then I don't know if you remember Leinster got knocked out early in the European Cup one year and they went back to the Challenge Cup and they beat yeah, Stad Frontier yeah. in the final so there's I think just seven of us now who have a Challenge a European Six Nations and a, and a a Magners or a URC you know but uh yeah it would have been a nice um, <laughs> claim to fame just to be the only one because uh, there's a lot more fellas have a lot more medals you know uh,
1: they're nice medals to have um, so very last one I just mm-hmm. find it interesting when you say they're um, you said like, oh, someone of my skill set and you're obviously a great player, but um, it comes up so much. Players who have, you talk about those medals who've done great things in the game, but like keep saying I was nothing special. I was, you know, and I think it's something that young players think that someone at the top of the game must have been born different, like absolute superstar growing up. That's just different, you know, but not the case
0: yeah no I know that uh, look I think sorry so I I became very aware of or certainly convinced myself that I brought certain values to the team I brought certain strengths to the team but they weren't they weren't like um, you know massively based around skill it was more around um, physicality or doggedness or whatever so I think Mm. I don't think I think you just need to understand what you bring Um, and then when the shit's the fan Bring that, you know what I mean? So basically, last couple of minutes of a game, you know, you're chasing a score or whatever. Well, then, you know, stick to your job. You know, like uh, Damien Brown, obviously, we both know him. You know, he uh, he's on the Atlantic Ocean at the moment and he's 88 days in or something like that. But, you know, chop wood, carry water. You know what I mean? So for me, that was that. For Johnny Sexton, he has to think about how do I get the team into a scoring point, in position? And then he has to execute a kick or a pass. Whereas my job was literally, you know, carry when I needed to tackle if I could and hit rucks and, and scrummage hard etc so like for me it was very much that chop would carry water whereas people like Brian Driscoll you know maybe needed to beat somebody or throw an offload or whatever so yeah but, uh, but Brian knew that he knew what he had to do you know Shane Organ knew what he had to do uh Jamie Easton knew what he had to do and I I had a good appreciation of what I needed to do and I think I didn't spend that like early in my career I didn't think about that do you know what I mean I, I didn't Kind of go right. This is what I'm good at. This is what a team need Just do that, and I think that could de stress a lot of p- kids as well or young players. Um, just kind of going right look at for me to provide or to produce for this team. These are the three things that is going to be asked of me. I know I can do those, I like doing those. Um, just go and do it
1: yeah, 100%. That's brilliant advice. Um, hey, Bernard, yeah. thanks, Mill, for your time. I've uh, loved George Brian,
0: I enjoyed the pod. Um, yeah, so I'm glad like to be asked again and uh, yeah continued success
1: cheers thanks amil cheers for listening in today bernard talked about how important visualization was for him in reaching the heights that he did as a player and i've created a free visualization guide for you and you can download it from the link in my instagram bio which is at off field rugby or the link is also here in the show notes and on the same link you can book a free one-on-one mindset and performance strategy call with me and we do that over zoom the biggest mistake that i personally see ambitious young players making is not having a mental skills plan so don't make that mistake there were unreal insights throughout that from bernard Please send it on to some friends, whether they're a coach, a player or a fan. I'm sure they will thank you that you did. If you want an extra podcast from me each week, you can sign up to the First 15 tier on Patreon and the link is in the show notes. Lastly, greatly appreciate you being here wherever in the world you're listening. Thank you. Have a brilliant rest of your day. Cheers.